It's a gospel on the radio talk show. A show about dreams and visions and a church that is indeed triumphant, alive, and well. For the church triumphant is alive and well. Hello, Tallahassee. This is the Gospel on the Radio talk show. I'm Pastor Jack King. I'm your host. And, uh, well, this is such a joy for me to be able to spend time with you on a Sunday morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I just pray that uh, today we'll learn something that's very, very important. And uh, we're going to talk about it in just a few minutes. But uh, we do have a few rules. We don't talk sports, politics, or doctrine, but we do always speak well of one another. Show number 1,101. <laughs> We're moving right along here. It just amazes me that uh, we've been doing this uh, a little over 20 years now. And the uh, Lord has just blessed us so much. And we've had an opportunity to minister and uh, interview a lot of people in Christian ministry. And, of course, the invitation is always out there. If you are involved in ministry in some capacity, I'd love to have you here on the show. We'll talk about your passion. And we'll talk about the dreams and visions in your heart and what God has called you to do. We'll get an opportunity to share it with all of the Big Ben area of Florida and on the podcast and all across the country. Just talking about what God's doing in your life and your ministry. Because as I say, this is a show about dreams and visions and a church triumphant, alive and well. We talk about the church and God's glorious Glorious kingdom. Last, uh, well, let's see. Today is the uh, 11th of December. On the 7th of, of December, we commemorated the 81th anniversary, 81 years since the attack on Pearl Harbor. Of course, I was not born by that time, but... Uh, it was a time of great pain for our nation. And my, my wife made the comment, she says, I have not heard anything at all today about Pearl Harbor Day. Well, I had because I'd been listening to the radio and there had been several uh, different places where they were talking about Pearl Harbor Day. But uh, as President Roosevelt said, this is a day that will live in infamy. In other words, you remember where you were and what you were doing when you heard the news about this tremendous attack on our shores. And of course, it launched us into World War II, which is a, when you just think about the impact of that war and of all the casualties and all the lives that were lost over this conflict. But, uh, the thing that I think most people don't realize, and of course you you hear Pearl Harbor, and uh, to a lot of people that's about as far as it goes. People would remember the USS Arizona, and that's uh, that image is, is often portrayed on television. You'll see it, the the museum that's there. But uh, the thing is, is that this whole thing had been building up for a long time. The uh, 
The Japanese were building their empire. They had been involved in war with China. And uh, much of the, the times that they were fighting the Chinese had a lot to do with the eventual takeover of the Communist Party in China because of the, the, the Japanese were really brutal people. And uh, the things that they would do were just uh, staggering. And they were trying to build their empire. And uh, they, they, they believed that their emperor was some type of a god. It was just amazing how this whole thing had built to the point that it was. And of course, there were conflicts between the United States and China, I'm not I'm talking about Japan, and uh, how that uh, these conflicts were springing up from places to places. And the thing is, is that when they attacked Pearl Harbor, the intention was that uh, it would be a preventative action. Its aim was to prevent the United States Pacific Fleet from interfering with its planned military actions in Southeast Asia and uh, and against the overseas territories of the United Kingdom. And the point is that they were thinking that if they attacked Pearl Harbor, it would so cripple America that it would not have the ability to stop them from their imperialistic goals. And, uh, well, the thing is, is that it was a horrible, horrible thing that took place. The attack commenced at 7.48 a.m. Hawaiian time. The base was attacked by 353 Imperial Japanese aircraft, including fighters and dive bombers and torpedo bombers. And uh, in two waves launched from six aircraft carriers, and of the eight U.S. Navy battleships present, all were damaged with only four sunk, or with four sunk. All but the USS Arizona were later raised, and six were returned to service and went on to fight in the war. The Japanese also sank and damaged three cruisers, three destroyers, an anti-aircraft training ship, and one mine layer. More than 180 U.S. aircraft were destroyed. Now listen to this. 2,000. 403 Americans were killed and 1,178 others were wounded. Now, something that did not happen that uh, would have crippled the uh, United States even more if it had was that the base itself was not totally destroyed. Then. uh, Installations such as power stations and the dry dock and the shipyard, these were not damaged, which gave the ability for the United States to begin the process of rebuilding, regrouping, and uh, it kept us from being totally destroyed. But one of the amazing things is, is that because it happened so suddenly. And even though there were rumors that something was going on and the possibility of an attack, 
pretty much the people were um, surprised. Most of the sailors were asleep. And uh, of course, that's one of the reasons why I'm sure they chose a Sunday morning. And so even though it was a surprise, there were a few of our aircraft, they were able to um, get off the ground and go fight. And that's an amazing thing to me to think that uh, these uh, pilots had the courage to go face such an onslaught. But it just tells you of the American spirit. And uh, one of the things that I've discovered here in my research is that the Japanese plan to announce their uh, declaration of war against the United States before the attack was launched. But communication such as it was, it didn't happen. In other words, by the time they had made the announcement, the time the communication got to where it would have made an impact, the um, attack had already taken place. And uh, all of these casualties, it's just amazing to me. But war always does uh, astonish me. When you hear reports of battles and uh, conflicts, it's very disturbing to think of all of these people who have lost their lives. And here, this is such a uh, uh, astounding thing that just in such a short period of time, we had this many people who were killed. They lost their lives in, in the this attack. And so a lot of times people don't always understand uh, why people do what they do and what motivates countries or whatever to do such things. And so as a result of that is as history plays out, many times people want to diminish the impact of it and say, well, uh, those things happen, and, and uh, it really wasn't as bad as it seems. When you have this many people killed, 2,403 Americans and uh, 1,178 others wounded, that's a big thing. And uh, that is a very, very uh, uh, just astounding. It's heartbreaking to think that all of these families lost their loved ones and at this point, as far as we knew, we weren't even at war at that point. But of course, things began to escalate very quickly after that. And of course, uh, the President Roosevelt at the time declared war. Congress declared war. And uh, a very, very difficult and intense time commenced. And uh, many, many, many more lives were lost because not only did this plunge us into war with the Japanese, it also plunged us into war with the Germans and the Italians, and um, World War II commenced. And uh, again, it's just uh, hard to even fathom the carnage that these wars took place, or, or that brought on, let's put it that way, that... Uh, and see, this is one of the things I, I say this all the time. Is that, you, know, you hear people, and uh, you know, we, we call them hawks, and they, they, they talk big about, well, we need to go do this and this and this. And I said, no, you just think about um, 
what war is all about. I've heard people that that said, we need to send our Marines uh, in and we just need to just mop up. And I say, well, what you don't realize is that there's going to be moms and dads that are going to get the news from the government saying that their loved one is lost forever. And uh, nobody wants to have that news. Nobody wants to lose a son or a daughter because of these things. So war is, uh, is such a horrible thing that it needs to be avoided at any cost. And that's that's where I stand. Now, I'm, I'm not a person that, that I'm not anti-defending our country. I'm not that at all. I'm just saying we need to count the cost. We always should count the cost before we make those type of decisions and make those type of actions to send our military into war. Let's just listen to some good gospel music this morning. Booth Brothers, called Peace in the Shelter. There's peace in the shelter of His Shelter of his arms. That's the Booth Brothers here this morning on the uh, Gospel on the Radio talk show. We're uh, kind of looking back. Um, like I say, this is the uh, 11th of December today, on the 7th of December, um, Pearl Harbor Day, the day that will live in infamy, President Roosevelt said. And, uh, it was a tragic day. Many Americans lost their lives as a result of that attack. And um, my wife was telling me that uh, my father-in-law and my brother-in-law just recently went to Hawaii. And uh, they went to the USS Arizona. And they were telling us how how just uh, how intense it is when you go there and you realize that there, there are bodies still down there that uh, were... Well, lost they lost their lives that day, and of course, as myself being a, a Navy man who spent four years in the Navy, I have a strong identity to these men because, well, ships are <laughs> when you're on a ship. Even though I, I spent my time on an aircraft carrier, it's that's pretty uh, pretty strong ship. But you realize that you are vulnerable. And you're subject to that ship. and that ship goes down, you're in a lot of trouble. And, uh, of course, this ship was uh, there in harbor. It was in the port when it was attacked. And uh, many of the uh, sailors were not able to get out because of the, of course, smoke and also just um, passageways are damaged and uh, there's just no way to get out. And they're just trapped in there. And what a terrible, terrible way to die and so <laughs> just uh, uh, thinking about the cruelty of this whole thing one of the things that that I've found in my research here is the fact that uh, 
we did not have our carriers there in the port. And uh, not exactly sure where they were, but they weren't there. But that was also a blow to the uh, Japanese government because they were counting on being able to destroy those carriers too. And because they did not destroy the carriers, that means that we were able to carry on in many of our missions to be able to uh, to take on the Japanese and to fight them. But uh, what's fascinating to me is that the uh, military went to work. I mean, after this, and they went through the process of raising these ships up out of the harbor. I mean, they're 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 covered with water. I mean, so you think about everything that's involved in that. First of all, you've got to go down and you've got to fix the uh, parts of the ship that would uh, cause it to allow the water to come in. And then, of course, the, the point is, is that a ship has to have a certain amount of uh, dead air spaces in order for it to float. This is a very important part of the whole structure of a ship. And I think I've told you this before, talk about other things, is that when we would go into the yards to do repair, sometimes they'd have to open up those voids. And, of course, it was very dangerous because you never knew what kind of gases had had built up in those areas. And then we had to go down in there so that the welders could uh, fix whatever may be damaged or would be suspect or whatever. Of course, my job was to go with the uh, welders down there with a fire extinguisher. And, of course, when you when they light that first spark, you don't know what's going to happen in some of those voids down there. But they, they, they have to stay airtight. And so all that process of raising that ship had to do with was getting everything airtight again. And then after you raised the ship, the thing had been soaked in salt water. So... <laughs> Uh, the process of, of sanitizing and cleaning that thing would have been a monumental task. But they were able to raise many of those ships, and they went back into to service, and they went back and were involved in the, in the war. But uh, like I say, fortunately, the, the carriers were not there, and so they, we were able to continue many of the emissions that needed to be uh, done in order to because now uh, our country was at war, and we had things we had to do in order to be able to to process that war. And of course, <laughs> when you've had all of your ships and so many of your your sailors destroyed, you kind of set back. But the uh, resilient Americans—that's one of the things that's always amazed me about our, our country—is it. You might think we're down, but we're not out. War between the Japanese and the United States was had been a possibility that each nation had been aware of and planned for since the 1920s. Japan had become very uh, wary of American territory, our territorial and military expansion in the Pacific and Asia since the 1890s, followed by the annexation of islands such as Hawaii and the Philippines which they felt were close to or within their sphere of influence. So you kind of get you, give you an idea of some of the tensions that were built up between Japan and their ambitions and the United States of America. Although Japan had begun to take a hostile policy against the United States after 
the rejection of the racial equality proposal, the relationship between the two countries was cordial enough that they remained trading partners. Tensions did not seriously grow until Japan's invasion of Manchuria in 1931. Over the next decade, Japan expanded into China, leading to the Second Sino-Japanese War in 1937. And so, I remember <laughs> hearing the the older people I mean, when I was a kid growing up back in Kentucky talking about the uh, scrap metal drives that uh, Japan was buying up America's scrap metal. <laughs> and uh, this was a big deal because here we were uh, just still in the Depression and people are desperately needing money. And here were these scrapyards that had come up all across America because they could sell this scrap to the Japanese because the Japanese were building their war machine. My father told me a story. This is a, before he passed away. He was a young boy, around 16. And, of course, he was a farmer, and his dad was were farmers, and he knew how to use a team of horses. And he was going to move from Mount Olivet, Kentucky, which is uh, the county seat of, the, of Robertson County, where he had been raised. And he was moving to Cynthiana, where his grandparents lived, even though his mother had died when he was about three years of age. But he was going to go live with them and go to farm with them. So that's a probably about a 30-mile drive from Mount Olivet to Cynthiana. And he told me, he says, but I did not go broke. See, I had money in my pocket. And that's when he told me the story. He said he uh, got a team of horses, probably borrowed them from somebody. And people had uh, who had these old Model Ts, and they would they, they, they wear out, they just push them down to the bottom of the hill. We call it the holler. <laughs> they just stick them down in the holler. And he would go buy those things, and then he'd take that team of horses and he'd snake them out. By that time, uh, bushes and brambles had grown up all around them. And, and, uh, so he took a team of horses and he'd snatch that old Model T out of there and he'd take it to the scrapyard and sell it. Probably didn't get much for it, but he got a little. And so it gave him enough to be able to have a little money in his pocket when he moved to Cynthiana. And people were doing that all over America, making a little extra pocket money, sometimes money just to live on, selling metal to the Japanese all the time that they're building this war machine that we would eventually be fighting against. Because sometimes we don't always know what we're doing, do we? But it's just, that's just a part of history. And uh, in the mid-1940s, President uh, Roosevelt moved the Pacific Fleet from San Diego to Hawaii. And uh, he also uh, ordered a military buildup in the Philippines. So this is a, a part of the history. <laughs> is that They moved it from the uh, uh, San Diego to Hawaii in nineteen in the mid nineteen forties. So it's just all of these things that are just um, fascinating to me. The the history of why things happen, how they happen, and uh, 
and all the events that surround these decisions that, as we say, makes history. So we find that there are negotiations um, attempting to improve the relationships between um, America and the Japanese. Of course, uh, the thought was that the America did not want to get involved in these wars. They didn't want to get involved in a war in, in Europe, didn't want to go to war uh, against the Japanese. Basically, in the United States of America, we wanted to just be left alone. We'd already been involved in World War I, and we didn't want to have any part of this. But the tensions around the world were escalating. And um, the thing is, is that war is never a pretty thing. And I applaud any political leader that would do everything they can do to keep us out of war. And as I said a little while ago, I'm not a person that's not a, that said, oh, I never want to do things that need to be done to defend our country. But anything we can do to prevent war, I've read enough about war to know that I don't want to have anything to do with it if we don't have to. And uh, if there's any way that we can keep our men and women from having to go into harm's way, that I'm in favor of that because nobody, nobody wants to get those telegrams and nobody wants to have those people show up at your house because I heard heard this is the way it happens is it when there's a, a soldier or a sailor or a Marine lost, then uh, the people who are going to go bear the tidings, they will go to the house before daylight and they'll sit there and wait until the first light comes on in the house and then they'll go knock on the door and they'll bear the tidings and uh, that breaks my heart to think that so often way too often these these people have to go and break the hearts of those families and that's why I always say Let's do everything we can to prevent war. It's Ernie Haas' signature sound. And this is what God wants. And surely I can trust and believe on what God says. piece of advice <laughs> I can lean and trust on what God says this is the gospel on the radio talk show I'm Pastor Jack King and uh, welcome thank you for staying with me this morning I know this is probably a little bit more difficult to listen to than what we normally do because I normally have guests here in the studio with me and we interview people and that's kind of what we do and we play a little gospel music but do a little bit more when it's just me but uh I think why the reason why I chose to to talk to you about Pearl Harbor is because after eighty one years, uh, people have a tendency to forget. It's just like a, I heard uh, in the course of conversations just on the radio that uh, there's only two states in America now that requires that there be uh, students taught about nine eleven, 
And so even though that's only been uh, uh, 20, what, 21 years or 22 years, I guess about 21 years, it's not uh, in the forefront as it was. And that was a terrible tragedy. And uh, I, I, I would think that as you talk to some of the young people who have been born since that, many of them would just not even know what you're talking about. And of course, we had, we lost so many lives in, in the, that terrible tragedy on uh, sept, uh, see, September the 11th, 2001. And uh, so now here, this has been 81 years ago that we had this terrible attack at Pearl Harbor and all of these uh, uh, sailors and Marines and some soldiers lost their lives as a result of these things, yeah, we need to talk about it. And we need to know as much about it as we can to have an understanding and uh, so that we can understand the, the price that our military pays in order to keep us free. Let me um, remind you that uh, if you are uh, looking for a place to worship today, then uh, I'm a pastor. I pastor Freedom Road Christian Ministry. We're located at 720 Capitol Circle Northeast. We're in the uh, Crescent Park Plaza. And uh, we're on Capitol Circle between Easterwood Drive and Park Avenue. So if you're heading toward Park Avenue, look for us on the right-hand side of the road. You'll see our sign there. We put it out on Sunday mornings. 11.05 is our start time, frcm.us. That is the website. And uh, like I said, we love visitors and love to have you come. Now, next Sunday, not not today, next Sunday, we will be presenting our Christmas program, and this always a, a lot of fun. We always we have uh, people who come and they they just do a great job of it. So we're looking forward to that, and that's also eleven oh five. We just um, invite you to come, come on out and, and enjoy that with us. And then don't forget about the live nativity, and this will be our forty third year of presenting the uh, live nativity. Now, we do that at our other property at 526 East 8th Avenue. That's right off of 7th Avenue. If you were on 7th Avenue heading toward Monroe Street, then you'd pass the Ronald McDonald House on your right-hand side. Take the next right, that's Colonial Drive, and the first left, that's 8th Avenue, and we'll have these uh, big signs out there on the highway for you that help to direct you in. Starts uh, 16th, which is Friday night, 17th uh, Saturday night, 18th Sunday night, 7 to 9 every night. We have live animals, live cast, everything's all lit up, and uh, it's been touching a lot of hearts for a long, long, long time. And I would encourage you to bring your family out. And then it always blesses my heart when I see a, a mom or a dad or a grandparents. They just kind of get down on their knees there and they, they just start telling the story to their children. That so blesses my heart when I see that happen. But here's the visual right in front of them. And to these children, it's, it's, uh, it just speaks to them. And I know this for a fact because people have told me this, and I've watched the children. And, of course, they have a good time playing with the animals and touching them and petting them and that sort of thing, and the animals love it too. <laughs> that donkey 
Oh, he, he just enjoys this immensely. So come on out. That's um, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 16, 17, 18, 79, 526 East 8th Avenue. So Pearl Harbor, the day that will live in infamy. The Japanese and U.S. engaged in negotiations during 1941, attempting to improve relations. In the course of these negotiations, Japan offered to withdraw from most of China and Indonesia. But after making peace with the nationalist government, it also proposed to adopt an independent interpretation of the uh, Tripartite Pact and to refrain from trade discriminations. And uh, Roosevelt rejected these, reaching an agreement for any meeting. So the, it uh, didn't go well. Japan's final propo- proposal delivered on November 20th, offered to withdraw from southern Indochina and to refrain from attacks in Southeast Asia, Asia so long as the United States, United Kingdom, and the Netherlands supplied one million U.S. gallons of aviation fuel and lifted their sanctions against Japan and ceased aid to China. The American counterproposal of November 26th is uh, required Japan to completely evacuate China without conditions and conclude a non-aggressive pact with the Pacific powers. On November 26th in Japan, the day before the notice delivery, the Japanese task force left port for Pearl Harbor. So, the Japanese, as I said earlier, attended the attack as a preventative to keep America from continually uh, taking over these islands and different areas in their area. But uh, as we know, things uh, <laughs> things have tendency to escalate so many times. So that's just the way things are. The Japanese attack had several major aims. First, it intended to destroy important American fleet units, thereby preventing the Pacific fleet from interfering with the Japanese conquest of the Dutch East Indies and Malaya. Or Malaya. And um, to consolidate its position, increase its naval strength before shipbuilding authorized by 1940. Battleships were chosen as the main target since they were the prestige ships of any Navy at the time. Finally, it was hoped that the attack would undermine American morale such that the U.S. government would drop its demands contrary to Japanese interest and would seek a compromise peace with Japan. So, striking the Pacific Fleet at anchor in Port Harbor or Pearl Harbor carried two distinct disadvantages. The targeted ships would, would be in very shallow water, which means that they were relatively easy to raise them up, as we talked about earlier, and to salvage and possibly repair them. So if it had been a different uh, place, in other words, if deep water, then those ships would have probably just stayed down there. But being in the harbor, because it was shallow water, then they were able to possibly raise them up because they didn't with the Arizona and I say many of the ships went back into service after they were able to bring them up out of the water 
And um, the Japanese confidence in their ability to win a short war also meant other targets in the harbor, especially the Navy Yard, the oil tanks, were not damaged. So those are all historical things that, uh, well, they are significant in the aspect that uh, the overall, overall outcome. The Gaither Vocal Band. Just Jesus only Vocal band here on the Gospel on the Radio talk show on a Sunday morning, and welcome. And uh, well, we're spending some time just talking a little history here, and uh, just bringing up awareness of Pearl Harbor because, like I say, eighty-one years it's easy to forget, and some never knew, <laughs> and uh, that's a shame. One of the things that uh, we talked about earlier was the fact that uh, the carriers were not there, which was a good thing, and uh, because that allowed them to continue the war effort with those aircraft carriers. But the thing is, I, I saw this list. It's the, it's the Enterprise, the Lexington, and the Saratoga were not there. But uh, now, I'm not sure about the Saratoga, but the Lexington was uh, that's not the Lexington that I served on. I served on the USS Lexington uh, during the Vietnam conflict uh, in out of Pensacola in the Gulf of Mexico. And the Lexington that I served on was, uh, uh, was at that time a CVT-16. But uh, this Lexington would have been uh, CV-2. <laughs> that means that was the second carrier. And uh, that carrier was a converted Ship. It had been another type of ship, and they converted it and put the uh, flight deck on it. And it was sunk in the Battle of Coral Sea later on in the war. And uh, the Lexington that I served on was being built in the Charleston shipyard in uh, uh, Boston. And uh, it was to be the USS Cabanis. That's what the name was supposed to be. But the shipyard workers uh, put together a petition to Congress to have it uh, changed to become the Lexington to avenge the one that was sunk in the Battle of Coral Sea, and that was granted. And so it became the USS Lexington 16. <laughs> and so just a little trivia, and it was also known as the Blue Ghost because it seemed to just dis- disappear in the fog. And uh, that was commented by the enemy. This is it just it just disappears. So they call it the the blue ghost. And uh, well, and another little uh, thing you may want to know. One of the things that you hear me say that you forget all about it. But the the first battle of the Midway movie was filmed on the Lexington. And my uh, it was it, that happened right when I was getting out of the Navy. But my friend Dennis, who was uh, we were in the same division together for a while, and and we're still friends. He was on the ship when it happened, and I was offered 
and all of us were a little bit part in the movie if we would what we call ship over a red list and I said no <laughs> I'm not that interested in becoming a, a movie star I'd rather get out of the Navy right now so but uh, anyway that was just kind of things that happened so if you ever see the old the old uh, the older film I think they've done a new one since then but the older ones that was the Lexington that it was filmed on so just things just things to know just a few more things to kind of wrap this thing up the uh the, um, the first wave, and see, like I said, the the enemy came in two waves off those carriers, and the first wave was to be the primary attack, while the second wave was a, was to attack the uh, uh, the cruisers and the battleship as a third target. The first wave carried most of the weapons to attack capital ships, mainly, especially adopted ninety one aerial torpedoes that were designed with anti-row mechanisms and a rudder extension that would let them operate in shallow water. The air crews were ordered to select the highest value targets, battleships and aircraft carriers, because the carriers were there. And if these were not present, any other high value ships and cruisers, destroyers that they could find. In other words, they were very uh, strategic as the bombers came over as where they dropped the bombs and what their targets were and uh, fighters were ordered to uh, strafe and destroy as many parked aircraft as possible to ensure that they did not get into the air to intercept the bombers and so and uh, when the fighters fuel got low they were to refuel at the aircraft carriers and return to combat so like I say it was a terrible, terrible um, tragedy that took place in Pearl Harbor and uh, much loss of life. And I always grieve over the thought of uh, loved ones who were killed in battle, killed in conflict, killed in, uh, in such horrible ways. Men aboard the U.S. ships awoke to the sounds of alarms, bombs exploding, and gunfire, prompting blurry-eyed men to dress as they ran to general quarters stations. And uh, well, it was just a horrible thing. So, I mean, just imagine what a way to uh, wake up, to wake up to such a terrible thing. A total of 353 Japanese planes reached in two waves. Wow. And there were also uh, uh, torpedoes, or uh, uh, subs that were sent in. Some of those were sunk, and uh, later they they found them that uh, they had been sunk, and some of them they didn't even know had had come, but uh, they were there. And so they uh, let's just finish up with the Kingsman here this morning. And amazed. That's the Kingsman here on the Gospel on the Radio talk show. And uh, this would just kind of wrap things up here this morning. Let me just tell you that uh, you don't want to miss the live nativity. It starts, uh, well, next weekend, 16, 17, and 18, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, 5, 26 East 8th 
Avenue. And that's right off of 7th. If you're heading on 7th Avenue, if you're away from TMH toward Monroe Street, look for the Ronald McDonald House on your right-hand side and take the next right, which would be uh, Colonial Drive, and then the first left, that's 8th Avenue. So as you take that left-hand turn, you'll see the Nativity. Kind of sits back off the street just a little bit there. And uh, 7 to 9, live cast, live animals, and it's also very, very beautiful. And then the... Our Christmas program, which is Sunday morning, the 18th, 11.05 at Freedom Road, which is over on Capital Circle, 720 Capital Circle Northeast. Love to have you come and uh, be a part of that service as well. Bring the family. And uh, and the thing is, is that uh, it's Christmas time. And I always tell people this, is that when December 1st rolls around, a lot of times you don't feel much like it's Christmas then. But it's the process of the whole month of the different things that you do, the parties you go to, and the, maybe you'll go see a nativity, or maybe you'll um, you'll see a Christmas play, or different things. And it all begins to build that brings you up to that day that we actually celebrate. But always keep in mind that Christmas is about Jesus, about the babe, about the babe that was born, and it's about him and uh, his bringing salvation to all of mankind. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Father, for this privilege to be able to bring this program. I pray, God, for each and every one who's tuned in this morning. Lord God, a blessing upon them, upon their lives, upon their family. Father God, your hand of protection. And Father, I pray for peace. And Lord, it would be my heart's desire that there'd never be another war, that this war in Ukraine would, would, would be over and uh, no more loss of life. Father God, we do grieve over those that we lost at Pearl Harbor and, and 911 and all the wars that we've been involved in. Father God, I pray for peace. And I pray for peace in the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. Father, I pray for peace around the world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Until next Sunday morning, may the Lord bless you.